Amen. My thanks to the choir for leading us into remembering this wondrous love of Christ. And my thanks to our worship team, Gloria Weathers, Susan DeFada, for this beautiful representation of this wondrous love that reaches out to us. Thank you so much for sharing it with us today. It uses, of course, the crown of thorns as our image that's before us through the whole series, reminding us of the sacrifice of Christ, the suffering of Christ, and really leading us toward the passion of Jesus as we move toward Holy Week. May God continue to bless us and enrich our faith journeys as we journey toward that cross. This morning, I want to add this reading from John chapter 3 to our reading that we've received from Genesis. And um, it, of course, contains one of the most familiar, treasured scripture verses that we have ever known in John 3.16. Let's hear those words with fresh ears and new attentiveness, standing in honor of the reading as we're able to hear God's word for us. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, You must be born from above, the wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Be seated. If you had to make a long trip and you didn't know quite how to get there, what would you do? 
I used to go for a map, uh, you know, those folding things that used to fit in your glove compartment. And, um, and in fact, in all of the cars that I had for the longest time, we had one of those big Atlas books, you know, and couldn't pull out of the driveway for a trip like that unless you had an Atlas. When Mary Evelyn got her first car to drive, I said, well, Mary Evelyn, would you like to have an Atlas in your car? She says, What's an atlas? (laughs) It seems that way, doesn't it? We, of course, look for other directions or look to other directions. Um, You know, many of us have a hard time just kind of finding our way. You know, you think about it, um, Moses and the Hebrew children, the distance of their journey that they made from Egypt into the promised land was not a not really much farther than it was from Haran for Abraham to go down into the land of Canaan earlier, of course. Um, But by the way, you do know why it was that Moses and the Hebrew children wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. It's because even then men would not stop to ask for directions. All right. Abram, or or, or later as he's known, Abraham, had that similar journey, though it didn't take him 40 years. His family first started down in Ur, the capital of the Sumerian culture, down uh, toward the mouth of the Euphrates River, uh, near the top northern part of the Persian Gulf. But as they uh, first moved, they moved up to the city of Haran, which was um, on up the Euphrates River. Lived there for a number of years. It was there that Abram's father, Terah, died and that his brother Nahor stayed there to settle. But Nahor's son, Lot, Abram's nephew, and all of his family and their servants and their herds, all their possessions, along with Abram's and all his family, all his herds, all their possessions, left Haran and made their way down toward the land of Canaan at the Lord's bequest. Now, I know it's a similar sort of distance as Moses and the Hebrew children, but just think what it would have been like to move that many people, that many things, all the way down from one place to the next. 400 miles it was for Abram and his family to make this journey. You think about that, it's about like going to Atlanta, okay? Well, try that on your camel and see how it feels over a long period of time. You know, one of our modern technology companies uh, has discovered a variant in the biblical text. And while we have in our biblical passages as Sarah being uh, Abram's wife, she evidently knew all the directions. Well, now um, they put it for us on our, our cell phones. You know, I got one of those and And I found out her name. Let me see what I can find here. Some of you might know it. Let's see. It's, uh, what is your name? It's Siri. Siri, she's called. All right. And so I decided I would try asking Siri, since it's so close to Sarah, um, how to get to Canaan. So I said, directions to Canaan. 
See, that's what I got up the first service. See, the last time I asked her that, I, I, I said directions to Canaan, and she gave me the directions to Canaan, Maine, which is, you know, not the right place. But it was a long, a long journey for Abram and his family. They made their way there through the hardest of efforts. It was Abram's willingness to follow the, dire- the directions, the leading of God that has established a legacy of faithfulness, recognized all the way through the Bible, even into the 11th chapter of Hebrews, verse 8, where we are hearing about people of faith who have established that legacy of faith over a long period of time. In that verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. But the thing was, even though Abram didn't know where he was going, he was willing to follow the Lord's directions, the geographical directions to get from one place to another. But it wasn't just geographical directions that Abram was willing to follow at the Lord's command. He was also interested in following the Lord's spiritual direction. And it was that kind of spiritual direction that brought Nicodemus to Jesus as a visitor by night. Now, Nicodemus was a teacher of the Hebrew people. He was a Pharisee. He was a part of the leading council of the Hebrew people. So it's a bit surprising that he might come and begin to inquire of Jesus some of these things. But notice that he did come at night when he might have a private meeting, maybe visit in secret so that he might not be um, exposed, that he's coming asking these things of Jesus. Of course, the passage contains probably the most well-known of scriptures, the most popular of scriptures, one of those things that we first learned in Sunday school. It has been called by some people the gospel in miniature, John 3.16, of course, I'm talking about. Some people have called it everybody's text because it is written for everybody. How does it start? For God so loved the world, right? Does that include you? Of course it includes you. God, uh, the scripture doesn't say, the verse doesn't say, God so loved the church people. It doesn't say, God so loved the handsome people or the beautiful people. It doesn't say, God so loved the intelligent or the bright or the super smart. It says, God so loved the world. And all of us seek that love, need that love. There was a sixth grade teacher who uh, decided she would give a writing assignment to her 11 and 12 year olds. And she really expected that she would hear back from those kids what she might get as almost a Christmas list. Because the assignment was, I wish, oh, you know, like I wish for a new bicycle or I wish for a cell phone, or I wish for a car one day. Just keep dreaming, kids, just keep dreaming. But what she got back was not really what she expected. She got back things like, I wish my parents wouldn't fight so much. I wish my mom didn't have a boyfriend. 
I wish I had an M1 rifle so I could kill all those people who make fun of me. Do you see how deep this need for love is? You see how lost we can become? You see how much we need spiritual direction in our lives? Nicodemus comes because he has this unsatisfied longing in his life. And he's, even though he knows the law, even though he knows all the teachings of of the Hebrew people that he should be teaching them, he still has this unsatisfied longing in his heart. And so he comes to Jesus because he senses that Jesus brings something important. It's the first point for today. In the hearts of many of us, like in Nicodemus, there is a great unsatisfied longing. We need and seek direction in our lives. Nicodemus comes acknowledging that there's something very special about Jesus. Think about it, how many times people come to Jesus and they ask a very important question. The big question that they ask him is, what must I do to be saved, right? How many times do we hear that? And Jesus doesn't give the same instructions every time. Sometimes he tells them that they need to sell everything they they have, give it to the poor, and come follow me, Jesus says. Or sometimes he'll say, uh, he'll say, leave all of your family and come follow me. But first, let me go and bury my father. Let the dead bury the dead. You come and follow me. He addresses people's need and longing about what must they do to be saved in a number of different ways, depending on their circumstances and what's holding them back, right? But here comes Nicodemus. And he doesn't approach Jesus with that all-important question, what must I do to be saved? He comes and makes an observation. He says, we know that you are a very, very special person because nobody could do these signs and wonders that you do unless they're in the presence of God. So he comes acknowledging that there's something special about Jesus. Now he's stepping outside of the law and acknowledging this special nature of Jesus. But he has this hunger, this unsatisfied longing at work in his life. And he senses that this Jesus might just have the answer to all of his questions. A a way to fulfill the hunger that he feels. To quench the thirst that he feels. But Jesus isn't easy on Nicodemus. He says, you have to be reborn. You have to be reborn. Nicodemus says, what? I'm old. Uh, What am I supposed to do? Be born all over again? But Jesus isn't afraid to make it hard because it can be really hard. You remember how Jesus at another time in another place, he said to, to someone with great riches, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, right? He doesn't make it easy on us. He knows what it is that's holding us back. He knows what it is that's keeping us from finding that rebirth in our lives. And he 
takes it away from us. He says to put it aside because he doesn't make it easy. It is as if Nicodemus says with this, with this infinite wistful yearning, you talk about being born again, you talk about this radical change that is so desirable, but I find so impossible. It might be the right thing for me to do, but you know, I'm a respected leader of my people. How can I change my life in a whole different direction? How can I reorient who I am and become a new creature? Jesus says you must be born again. Nicodemus is up against the eternal problem that so many of us face. Asked by Jesus, Invited by Jesus to find this change, this rebirth in our lives, we say just, I'm pretty satisfied with who I am. (laughs) I'd just as soon not be changed. It would totally mess up my life. It would cause me to do different things. It would cause me to spend my time differently. I, I would just as soon not change if that's all right with you. Nicodemus is basically saying, I don't get it. I don't get it. It wouldn't happen here. But you know, there are even churches that sometimes will say, they'll be convicted in the things that are not right for them, things that are not going well for them. But they say, we're pretty satisfied with the way that we are. We just as soon not change and experience this rebirth in our church family life together. Our problem is that we can't get over ourselves. There is this great unsatisfied longing and we feel totally inept at satisfying it. We look to Jesus to point us in the right direction. You still don't understand, says Jesus. You're a teacher of Israel. Look, I'll give it to you straight. I've tried to make things simple for you. I've used simple human pictures taken from everyday life and you still have not understood. How can you ever expect to understand the deep things if you don't understand the little simple things? There's a warning here for every one of us. It's easy to sit in discussion groups and Sunday school classes and even come to choir on a regular basis. It's easy to sit here and worship and hear about Jesus and have the knowledge about Jesus and not experience the change of life that we need when that's what Jesus challenges us with. The knowledge of Christianity is not what's important. The essential thing is the power of Christianity that so many of us leave untapped. Jesus knows our real questions. He answers them before Nicodemus even asks them. He knows our real questions. And our questions are this. Number one, who are you, Jesus, really? Who are you? And the second one is, why have you come? Why did you come? He knows our questions. He answers them before we even ask. 
If you look at verses 13 and 14, Jesus says who he is. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. It's an Old Testament term uh, referring to the one who represents humanity. He's the one who suffers for humanity. He's the one who receives, who receives the punishment for humanity. He is the one who represents humanity before God, the Son of Man who has descended and now must ascend. And, as G- and just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And we're thinking cross here. That's me, Jesus says. That's who I am. But then here's why I came. Look at verses 15 through 17. That whoever believes in him, the Son of Man, may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever would believe in him may not perish but have eternal life. God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's why Jesus so you must be born again and if you want some direction that's it how well let me put it in some simple directions stop turn go and follow stop turn go and follow these are kind of uh, orthodox Christian ideas given to us in different terms By stop, I mean stop, confess, admit. Admit that there's that bit of Adam in you, remember, that holds us back, that creates that that, uh, distance between us and God. We'd like to think that we're always good people, but we realize that there is that Adam in us that spills out every once in a while. So stop, confess that, admit it, and realize that we're fallen. Secondly, uh, secondly, repent, turn, repent, 180 degrees, intend to turn over a new leaf, uh, confess those things and intend to go in a new direction that God is leading you in. In Lent, what we do is we try to put away those bad things and take on the good things to do that 180 turn so that we might go to Jesus. Go straight to Jesus. We see him there. We know that he's calling us. He's inviting us. He's hoping and dreaming things for us. And all we need to is, is go to him and then follow him. Follow him. Submit ourselves to his authority. Learn his word and follow his commands. Be obedient people, obedient disciples following Jesus. Stop, turn, go, follow. All of those seem to be easy things. That's what it means to be, though, to be born from above, to be born again. The old creature is gone. The new creature has come. When you do those things, Jesus says, you'll find eternal life. Now, just really quick, an explanation about that term eternal life. I was talking uh, with Stanley Roberts about this following the first service. So many of us have this idea about heaven, you know, as a reward and that 
that is our goal. I'm not so sure that that's the goal of the Christian. If you think you get get all these things, you know, when you get to heaven, you get, oh, you get uh, everlasting life from now into infinity and beyond. <laughs> but then also you, you get all those treasures, you get golden streets, you get everything that you ever wanted, you get all of those fun things that you wanted to do, all those places you got, you didn't get to travel, you wanted to go, you know, all of those things, yours and more. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking more like abundant life. You remember the story about the man who woke up and he found that he had an attendant that would give him everything that he wanted, anything that he wanted to eat, he got it. Anything that he wanted to do, he got to do. Any place that he wanted to go, he got to go. All at the hands of this attendant who always gave him everything that he wanted. But finally, that got kind of boring. And so he, he said, you know, I just like the opportunity to refuse something every once in a while. And, and they said, well, we're sorry, that's not possible here. He says, well, I'd just as soon be in hell if I can't ever. And he says, well, where do you think you are? <laughs> so many times we think if we just got everything we wanted, it'd be heaven. That's not it. That's not what God's trying to give us. He's not trying to give us eternal life, riches beyond imagination. He's trying to give us abundant life. Abundant life known by that joy and that peace and that love that only comes from God the eternal, God of abundant life. When Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, that's abundant life. John tells it to us in his 10th chapter. When they asked Jesus, why have you come? He says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. When it gets down to it, this text from, John, from, from uh, Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, from John, is a passage that says to us that God is a life-giving God. What's always been true of God and what is comforting to hear again is that God loves the world, that God desires that no one perish, that God desires that all might live, and that God has acted in Christ not to condemn, but to save, but to save. To trust in this is to have life anew, life eternal, abundant life. Stop, turn, go, follow Jesus. Do these things and you will live and you'll have all the direction that you need. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning we close with, um, Oh Master, Let Me Walk With Thee. It's hymn number 430. And perhaps you've noticed kind of the theme through all of the things that we have sung together this morning, living for Jesus being one of those. 
as we've even sung about uh, um, our first hymn, 128, He Leadeth Me. It's all about following Jesus as new creatures. And we're called moment by moment, day by day, to seek that new creatureliness in our lives. There are some things that we need to put aside. There's some things in us that need to die and we need to be reborn again. And if we have, the, have that opportunity every day, if every day becomes a little Easter, if every day becomes a new day that God is bringing new hope and new life in us, then we can live as his people in the world. And we can walk the way of Jesus. If he's calling you to do that today, Maybe you've been like Nicodemus, a leader of the church for years upon years upon years, and you're hearing a call to find a new life today. That may be you, and he may call you to your knees at the altar to pray, then respond to that call. If he just simply is calling you, just wake up tomorrow and be that different person. Be my man. Be my woman in a way that you haven't before, then respond to that. But if he's just calling you to walk alongside him, to follow him day by day, you make that commitment as well. As I mentioned earlier, Tate and Cindy Carlson joined our church at the 830 service, and there may be others that would like to do so as part of this service today. If that's true for you, come and join us at the front as we make our commitments and as we sing together. Let's stand.